Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. They clear the rebound, but it comes back in front. An absolutely tremendous save for Thatcher Demko with the glove. I just really like winning, man. That is going to do it. Thatcher Demko pitches a 27-save shutout. They're Canada's best hope right now. They are the only team in the country that is playing not even to its potential, but beyond its potential. What a freaking boost. Good morning, Vancouver. 601 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. A-Dog, good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Halford and Bruff in the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour one of the program. Hour one is brought to you by everythingfinancial.com. Financial freedom awaits. Book your introductory meeting today. Visit them online at everythingfinancial.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find a perfect fit at Kintech.net. What a sports weekend. I'm excited to get into everything that transpired over the last 72 hours. Saturday was great. Canucks win. Lions win. U-Dub wins. Good job, Phoenix. Sunday, not so good. Seahawks lose badly. Whitecaps lose in controversial fashion. We'll get to all that in a minute. Uh, Our guest list for today is as follows. 6.30, David Amber is going to join the program. Hockey Night in Canada, Sportsnet NHL host. Uh, We will talk about the best team in Canada, the Vancouver Canucks, and all the rest of the crappy teams in Canada. That's all of them. (laughs) 7.30, Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from The Messenger, is going to join us. The less we say about the Seahawks game, the better. We might just look at all the other games in the NFL and just avoid the Seahawks entirely. The Seahawks lost a squeaker, but they'll be back next week. 34 points. Narrow margin of loss there. Uh, 8 o'clock, Randy Janda. You heard him on the call Saturday. Actually, you didn't. They had a guest play-by-play guy in. That's right, because he was on uh, Hockey Night. Randy's going to join us to talk about the red-hot Vancouver Canucks as they have a game tonight against the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena. Uh, you can get all of your pregame, postgame, and the call right here on Sportsnet 650. Also, Andy, please help me out. I know we're... <laughs> look at that look that Andy is giving us right now when I asked him to help me out. Oh, God. <laughs> We're Responsibility. Giving, we are doing a ticket giveaway. We are. All week. Can you pull up the information, please? Because we are giving tickets away every day this week to see SmackDown. WWE's SmackDown. That is all the information I have at the ready on this. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know when it is. The, the text for this should be interesting. I don't it's know. It's val- Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it it's involves. A, coming to Rogers Arena on January 5th. Thank and you. And there will be wrestling. <laughs> Thank you for Amongst that. Amongst other things. What well. uh, what emoji are we going to use for this? Oh yeah, strong arm. You want the flexing, flexing one? Yeah, flexing yeah. one. Is there a Bruce Boudreaux emoji somehow? <laughs> Could we do that? <laughs> no, you know what? That's not bad. I challenge all of you for the flexing emoji. I repeat, flexing emoji into your text with what we learned. Hashtag it WWL. What did you learn over the last seventy two hours in sports? Hashtag it WWL. Put a flexing emoji into your text. You'll be entered into the contest, not a prize draw, but a contest to get a pair of tickets for WWE SmackDown right here in Vancouver, Rogers Arena but on ha- January 5th. You have to include what we like actually do th- put thought into it. I, yeah, that kind of goes without saying. Well, no, it doesn't because 90% of the in- entries we get will just be a flexing emoji in the WWL and nothing else. Yeah. Working in reverse on the guest list, 8 o'clock, Randy Janda, 7.30, Mike Tannier, 6.30, David Amber. we got a lot to get into, so without further ado, Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. 
Visit them online at bccsa.ca. Yes, there was a lot that happened this weekend, but no, there is no question about where we're going to start. It is with the Vancouver Canucks. Thatcher Demko made 27 saves in a 2-0 win for the Canucks over the Dallas Stars at Rogers Arena on Saturday night. Laddie was happy because Demko got his shutout and they didn't have to challenge for it. I got to start the intro with a save. That's true as well. Second shutout of the year for Demko, although it should be his third. And the Canucks are the best team in Canada. In the world, probably. In the world. Uh, seven games in a row without losing in regulation. Uh, six of their last seven, they've won three in a row. And of course, they were coming off a 10-1 win in San Jose. But I will say that this game, Saturday's 2 nothing win over the Dallas Stars was way more encouraging than beating, by, beating San Jose even by nine. Uh, the Stars came in as one of the top teams in the NHL, and even though they were probably a bit tired, having taken care of business in Alberta, this was a big test for the Canucks. And I think we're going to start, even though uh, you know it's kind of Laddie's passion, and I hate to talk about Laddie's passion too much, Thatcher Demko was brilliant. And after his second shutout of the season, his save percentage currently stands at 947. Is that good? And who knows how that game would have gone if he hadn't made that glove save off of Wyatt Johnson. That was good. Uh, but credit the Canucks team game as well. Save percentage often goes hand-in-hand hand with how you're playing in front of the goal. Yes, Demko is responsible for a lot of it. But I think the Canucks have vastly improved how they're playing in front of Thatcher Demko. Uh, they dominated the second period. The first period, it was scoreless, but... You know, it was pretty evenly played, and that might be being kind to Vancouver. Uh, they dominated the second period, and they scored twice. And here's a big difference. They did a great job shutting down the, the Stars in the third, and that included some time on, on the penalty kill. Uh, as for the goal scorers, uh, Pew, scorer, Pew Suter, we have trouble with that one. Pew Suter. You do. Scored. Oh yeah, you don't have any problems with that. Pews, Pews, gotcha. Pews scored. Suter scored the first goal. It's his second of the season. Scored her. Uh, it's Pew a little. Scored. Okay, enough. <laughs> uh, keep going. You got a little bit of a fortunate bounce on the pass by Dakota Joshua, who was back in the lineup and actually trying to feed a streaking Garland on the goal. Uh, but the Canucks did a good job of mucking up the neutral zone before that, and that's one of those important things. You win battles through the neutral zone, you get possession of the puck, you get scoring chances. The second goal was a real nice one. Uh, Petey got his sixth of the season already after Hronik hit him with a perfect no-look pass. Uh, at the end of the day here, listen, this is my little, this is my little speech for the morning. At the end of the day, the Canucks are playing a way better team game while getting some incredible individual performances from their star players. Mm -hmm. The difference between this season and last is the team game. They got a bunch of good individual performances <laughs> from their star players sure last did. season. Um, but, you know, if you, if you want to name all the hockey cliches, they're doing them, right? They're winning more puck battles. They're committed defensively. They're staying on the right side of pucks. They're blocking shots. They're protecting the front of the net. That stuff is never going to go out of style in hockey. It might go out of style, but it, they're, they're, it's all, you are, you're always going to have to do those things. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, they are non-negotiables if you want to win hockey games. No coach is going to be able to come in and say, yeah, you don't have to do these things. We're going to run a gun. Taka calls them staples of the game, and you have to credit the coaching staff for getting the buy-in, and you only and you have to have, uh, credit the leadership group for helping the coach get buy-in. Now, some people, some simpletons out there, are going to say the only difference between this season and last season is goaltending. Last season they didn't get it. This season they're getting it. Thatcher Demko would disagree. And Thatcher Demko, after the game on Saturday, was not talking about his great saves. Mm -hmm. He was not talking about how great he's playing. He was talking about how the team is coming together. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm proud of the group. I mean, um, <clears throat> you know, it just, it feels great to, to see that commitment level. And, you know, you can tell guys are playing for one another. And uh, it's a special feeling when, when that kind of takes over the room. So, um, 
you know, we're, we're excited about tonight. We know we've been playing some good hockey. Obviously, we, we still have to continue to grow, and I think that's been uh, the message from the leadership group, and, um, you know, we still have a long way to go. So it's one game at a time and, and enjoy tonight, but uh, get back to work. So I've started to pay a little bit more attention to what the opposing coaches are saying in the aftermath of Canucks games. What are you guys saying about us? Do you like yeah. us? And Do you think we're good, too? Almost always. There, there's a certain... Um, Certain understanding you have to have is that coaches are never going to say anything too controversial, and they're always going to be complimentary because it's the easiest thing to do, right? So you got to get past the complimentary part and start looking at the moments of raw analysis, and there's not a lot of them, but moments that they'll give you about exactly what the Canucks are doing. So Pierre Lebrun wrote a piece, and we alluded to it last week a couple times. Andrew Burnett was one of the coaches after the road swing that Canucks won, a very successful road swing, and said, You know, they've been the best in terms of taking away time and space. After Saturday's game, Peter DeBoer said in his post, there wasn't a lot of room out there. And you're hearing this more and more and again and again and again. Every time a team plays the Canucks, they're talking about how little opportunity there is to go and do the things that they want to do. The opposition, that is. I cannot think of a more different team from last year because last year, all there was was room for the opponents to go mm-hmm. and do what they wanted to do and make plays like, and it's score goals. Too, it's too much room. I don't. I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. I feel uncomfortable with the amount of space out here. <laughs> there's a lot. I feel like I'm in outer space. It's like being in the ocean. It's I don't infinity. Know. I don't like infinity. I can't see the horizon. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Why is Tyler Myers lying on the ice like that? That was last year. We're. I mean, they were giving up like Adam Pee Wee style goals. The mm-hmm. Canucks were because they didn't have, and we've talked about structure. And systems play and all that stuff. It is the polar opposite this year. Like, Demko was great on Saturday. But the Canucks only surrendered 27 shots on goal and only surrendered nine in a third period where they were trailing against one of the better offensive teams in the NHL. So I think that is fantastic. It is a pleasure to watch. It is really great to see guys stepping up and a lot of the veteran presence is coming in and doing exactly as advertised. Speaking of that, uh, we can tick the boxes for how great Demko and Pedersen and Hughes and Miller have been. But I thought you tweeted something very salient over the weekend. Uh, Ian Cole, the unsung hero of hashtag the start. I knew of his game. I was familiar with Ian Cole's work. Mm-hmm. Love the guy. That was an awesome sequence in the Dallas game where he absolutely trucked Matt Duchesne and then had to take on a pretty tough comer in Mason Marchman. You heard me. Okay. I stand by what I said. A pretty tough comer. C-O-M-E-R. Okay. Uh, and he was he he has been like sort of the embodiment of everything that you want from a veteran presence to step in yeah. and play the way that Talkit wants them to play and be a new guy and be like, hey guys, this is what we want to do out here. I'm gonna show you the way and I'm gonna be physical. And that was an awesome performance from a guy that when we talk about the stars, we need to talk about the role players as well. He was great. Yeah, Tones texted in being at the game on Saturday. The one thing that was very noticeable is that they get their sticks on everything. Yeah, and that's Ian Cole's game, right? Yep. And talk it'll talk about uh, stick on puck, right? Every hockey coach will do that, and that's what you have to do. Um, yeah, Ian Cole has been great. Uh, it was funny. I was like looking at the cap, Canucks cap friendly. I'm like, oh, I wish he got a multi-year deal. Now we're going to have to add him in with the, the contract negotiations right. for Philip Peronik and e- Elias Pettersson. How, how much do you think Cole is going to want? Yep. He's only on a one-year deal. And I remember when he signed, you know, I, I was thinking, man, that is, that's a good signing. And also, how did they only get him on a one-year deal? Because Ian Cole's a pretty good player. And you're able to plug and play him in on, you know, some – have been able to plug and play them on some pretty good teams and I guess that includes the Vancouver Canucks now so so listen we're gonna have a conversation uh later in the show uh maybe in the seven o'clock hour and the question is just gonna be uh are the Canucks good Mm -hmm. are they actually like are they good are they a good team right now because we're gonna play some Rick Tockett audio where he kind of acknowledged like things are rolling for us right now Let's see how we fare when we get a few things that we have to deal with, some adversity. And, you know, we got to make sure that we're not reading our own press clippings and we just got to keep doing things day by day. And then he kind of said what we were talking about last week. He said, listen, things are going to go wrong 
right? There are going to be things that we're going to have to deal with. We're going to have stretches of bad play. What do we yeah. do if Hugh Scorter gets injured? Yeah, then what? Well, I mean, then you've lost your third-line scorter. <laughs> I enjoyed right? that he said press clippings in the quote. Yeah. Talking to old school. I think it's, yeah. uh, it's called sending Twitter links on yeah, yeah, yeah. your text well, he messages. Probably, okay, he he <laughs> was probably talking. Twitter links? Talk? Like, he was, he was probably clipping. talking about Elliot Friedman because we played the clip in the intro. And I think from the weekend, that was the biggest quote-unquote press clipping in Canucks land is that Friedman went on after or Hockey Night Canada following the game, post-game show, and said that the Vancouver Canucks were Canada's best chance right now. And I thought it was... Uh, pretty clever by Freach. I think he might have done it with a little sparkle in his eye because he does love needling the Vancouver market. But he was also genuine and earnest in the fact that if you look at the standings, the Canucks are the best team in Canada right now. So do I'm assuming we want to turn the page here, though, well, I wanna, so we can get into the rest of the yeah, news yeah. from the weekend. So uh, let's let's stick on, on, on Saturday when things were still good for Vancouver sports. Uh, oh, the BC sad. Lions uh, handled the Calgary Stampeders. Um, as expected, and they booked a rematch with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Problem is, next weekend, that game is in Winnipeg and not BC Place. Um, I don't want to live in the past, but I'm still living in the past on that loss to the Bombers at BC Place. Should have been a win, and the Lions should have had a bye, and they should be hosting the Winnipeg Blue Bombers this weekend, but alas, they aren't. Uh, Good for Vernon Adams, who had an unbelievable game against the Calgary Stampeders, I was actually ready early to like <laughs> throw him under the bus because the st- the Stamps scored an early touchdown and then the Lions had a two and out. And I was like, oh my God, like, don't go out like this, guys. Don't, don't go out like this. Don't because, and, and you know, in the back of our minds, the Stamps had come into BC place sure. and run the ball down the Lions throats and beaten the Lions pretty handily in, in an albeit meaningless game. But Good for Vernon Adams because he really found his game. Um, he was scrambling. He mm-hmm. was throwing. Uh, at the end of the day, finished 28 of 39. Threw for 413 yards and two touchdowns and scored three himself. It's five like, touchdowns. He was he was unbelievable. And credit to Vernon Adams. But, but again, for me... Uh, beating the Stamps was expected. That's what they needed to do. They've booked this rematch and with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And now are we now we now we ask questions. Is Vernon Adams up to the task of winning in Winnipeg? They the Lions did show that they can do that. Early in the season, they went in there and hammered the Blue Bombers. They didn't just beat them. They hammered them. Mm-hmm. But as the season progressed, Winnipeg got better. And I think the Lions' defense got a little bit worse. So we ask these questions as they go to Winnipeg for uh, yet another game to go to the Grey Cup. Last season didn't go so well. This season, it's Vernon Adams as the starter. It's not going to be Nathan Rourke. Is he up to the task? But perhaps I think more importantly... Is the defense up to the task of of beating the Winnipeg Blue Bombers? Biggest takeaway for me from that game was Vernon Adams making plays with his feet. Three rushing touchdowns, obviously. And then you mentioned a lot of of times where he could, could tuck the ball and run. That, to me, is going to be the biggest factor going into Winnipeg. Because when the defense is stout and when your passing game maybe isn't necessarily getting going and you can't hand the ball off... Both things, which are going to be tough to do against a good Winnipeg team, can Vernon Adams tuck it and run? Because one of the things you remember about when they lost to Winnipeg last year with Nathan Rourke under center was his mobility was limited to a certain degree because he was coming back from injury. And while he was able to sling it and move around in the pocket, he still wasn't there 100% making plays with his feet and running. If Adams can do that, then I think they got a real shot at this. And I think... The Lions sort of unearthed the playbook and gave a little peek as to what they have that wrinkle and they have that in their arsenal, his ability to make plays with his feet. So we'll see if he can continue uh, in Winnipeg, but it's a tall order to be sure. Uh, Speaking of your local sporting squadrons, good job, Vancouver Canucks. Good job, BC Lions. Not so good of a job by the Vancouver Whitecaps yesterday. Their brief playoff run came to an end on Sunday night at BC Place in front of over 30,000 people. I was one of them in attendance at BC Place. A 1-0 loss to LAFC, a game in which any analysis of the actual match got completely thrown out the window because of the officiating. And again, 
Uh, I do enjoy complaining about officiating. I consider it a hobby. I'm something of an expert at it. And I know that it might sound like sour grapes. Whatever. That was one of the worst officiated games I've seen in any sport at any level. Never mind a playoff match. And it was the only talking point. The only talking point coming out of yesterday's game. Uh, I know we don't often talk about the opposition broadcaster, TSN, but TSN was broadcasting the game yesterday. After the match, Luke Wildman and Stephen Caldwell did their sort of minute-and-a-half, two-minute stand-up where they do the the walk-off and they talk about the match. All they talked about was the officiating, and Caldwell spent about, I don't know, 90 consecutive seconds calling it disgraceful, embarrassing, and littered with mistakes. It was shocking, to put it mildly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what were, Go through all the bad calls. The penalty for LAFC at the start of the match. I'll say this. There wasn't enough in VAR to overturn it because there was contact, but Tristan Blackman clearly got the ball, clearly, on replay while making contact. Some will say before, whatever the case. If the penalty stands... That's fine. But that means you set the bar and the standard in that match for what a penalty is. It means right. any contact in the box is a penalty. Because like the Whitecaps players kind of came together and then the LAFC player. There was contact. Through. Yeah, like the there was definitely was, contact. But the tackle was also one because Blackman got his foot to the ball mm-hmm. before the foul was initiated. But there was contact. Fine. If you want to make that the standard of the day, right. then you have to adhere to it. The referee, Tim Ford. Did not. There was about three different cases where Whitecaps players were fouled in the box. Larea a couple times. So that's one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, midway through the first half, an onrushing LAFC player decided to slide at uh, Whitecaps goalkeeper Yohei Takayoka while Takayoka was sliding. Studs up to the face of Takayoka. Looked clear as day to be, at the very least, reviewable for a red card offense. Did not happen. Mm-hmm. Now... Throughout the match. Is that on the referee or is that on the review That's on the referee. Okay. That's on the referee. So the referee calls for a review? He should have given he was staring directly at it. Okay. I don't know why VAR didn't get involved to at least say, hey, take a look at this. 18 fouls from LAFC. The match was lacking any sort of flow or rhythm whatsoever. Every time there was a couple minutes of uninterrupted open play, bang, foul. He ruined it with a (laughs) Two yellow cards. For 18 fouls, the math does not add up. And the two yellows came at the end of the match for LAFC. And then finally, the biggest talking point of them all is that at the end of the match, with everyone pushed forward for the Whitecaps, including the goalie, Takayoka, uh, the ball came out off a corner. There was a bit of a scramble at the top of the box. The Whitecaps had possession. And then the referee interfered with Alessandro Schopp, knocking him to the ground Mm -hmm. instead of blowing the play dead and saying, my bad, I've made a refereeing error. He let the play go on. And then what would you have done? Like a drop ball or yes. something like that? Yeah, okay. it's pretty standard fair, right? right? Yeah. I mean, they've written it into the rules that you give possession back. You put your hand up and you say, I interfered with the play. Mm-hmm. That's my bad. You do not let it play itself out, which is what he did. Was it because normally the interference would be like if he interfered with the ball? Perhaps he had an interpretation, but common sense right. at the end of the day has to overrule mm-hmm. him. Yeah. You're talking about a playoff match, 1-0, dying yeah. moments. He essentially like made a great block. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> if he was playing for the Seahawks, they would have been like, you're our offensive lineman right now. That was a tremendous block. <laughs> so, here, I've got a, I've got a bit of an odd question. Sure. Okay. Um, because the Whitecaps didn't score a goal, and I was watching that game, and I was like, man, if they can score, the roof is going to blow off this place because the crowd was not only a good one in numbers for the Whitecaps, you know, it, first of all, it looked great on TV. Mm-hmm. Um and and second of all, like you could feel the energy and you could feel the like that God, we want a goal so badly. Like this gonna it's like and they nearly scored in the end. Did the crowd still have fun? I doubt it. Yeah, because like th- this is probably one of the saddest takeaways of the whole thing. This is the second time now yeah, right? that the Whitecaps have had this really big, really historic crowd. And you have to go all the way back to 2015 for the previous one when Portland was here. Mm-hmm. And they didn't score a goal. And everyone kind of left like, eh. So they and this and I think you can throw in like the Seattle game too. Sure, right when they parked Take the bus intentionally, got a nil nil, and then went down to Seattle and lost. You know they did have that one game where they smoked San Jose, and that was the one right before the Seattle game a few years ago. But 
it does feel like, and we can blame the referees for this if we want, but it does feel like every time the Whitecaps have this chance to like put their stamp on the city, if that makes sense, it just kind of comes up like, Yep, it was it was a frustrating. I mean, for me personally, I doubt the majority of the thirty thousand in attendance were thinking about that particular narrative. But that's the first thing I thought of. You know, I had a, I, the the group I was sitting with. A couple of people said, "Man, there's thirty thousand people in here, but the energy's really been sucked out of this place because there were twenty eight fouls." Like I don't know what to tell you, but if you do the math, that's a foul every four or five minutes mm-hmm. where the play is just chopped dead. Yeah. And it's just there's no rhythm, there's no build up, there's nothing. The Whitecaps didn't play well, but I don't know what it would have looked like if it was officiated properly. Like it just it was all over the place. It was a very, very, very disappointing cap to an otherwise great weekend of Vancouver Sports. So hopefully later in the show we get some time to play some uh, Vanny Sartini audio because that was an interesting press conference he had after the game, after he'd been thrown out of the game. But uh we got a lot to get to, and David Ember is going to join us next. We'll talk about the Vancouver Canucks, but I think then we'll also talk about some of the other teams, including the team that is coming through Vancouver tonight. We even talk about this. The Edmonton Oilers are in town tonight to play the Vancouver Canucks, and they are not in a good way. Maybe not only was I wrong about the Vancouver Canucks this season, maybe I'm wrong about the Edmonton Oilers and the fact that they're just going to bounce back and they'll be fine and they'll be okay. Could the Vancouver Canucks be the end of the Edmonton Oilers? Can you imagine? That would it is, be it insane. Is, it is, what is it, Game 12 for the Canucks yeah. tonight? And who, who predicted this? In Game 12 of the regular season, the Canucks could uh, deliver a tremendous blow to the Edmonton Oilers' chances of like making the playoffs. Like Half of us are wondering, if the Oilers lose tonight, is Jay Woodcroft going to get fired? Like that, that is in the back of a lot of our minds, and that is crazy. David Amber is going to join us next on the Alfred and Brown Show on Sportsnet 650. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's a lot to ask of just one player or two players. They're in it with everybody else. Collectively, as a group, we can be so much better. Connor and Leon are no different than any other anyone else on our team. We can all be better. 6.33 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Bruff Sportsnet 6.50. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today, we are in hour one of the program. David Amber is going to join us in just a moment. You're the highlight of hour one, really. Hour one of this program is brought to you by everythingfinancial.com. Financial freedom awaits. Book your introductory meeting today. Visit them online at everythingfinancial.com. The Edmonton Oilers, just when you thought they might have solved their season on Sunday, a week ago, with that big outdoor Heritage Classic win over Calgary, well, not so fast. Back-to-back losses to Dallas. And then Saturday against Nashville, Ryan O'Reilly hat trick. They're, the they're, they're like constantly chasing the game. Mm-hmm. They always go down by like multiple goals. They went down by multiple goals at home. They made it kind of close against Dallas, but Nashville, they were out of answers. Two, seven, and one, the Oilers are. Now you heard Jay Woodcroft coming back from break. Let's discuss that more now with our next guest, Hockey Night in Canada, Sportsnet NHL host David Amber here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, David. How are you? Morning, guys. Whoever Whoever's in charge of your music, that was the perfect drop in the background of Jay Woodcroft. It was like the spooky Halloween, like mm. the world coming to an end type music. <laughs> that might have just been leftover Halloween music, so I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't credit the, the dogs too much for yeah, that. Yeah, it was very foreboding, though, and it was interesting because the Edmonton Oilers, although they are only, amazingly, it feels longer, but just 10 games into the season, it's full-on crisis mode in Edmonton right now, is it not? Yeah, I mean, part of me, the measured part of me says, yeah, let's just take a step back here. The Oilers are not dead yet. But we know, and, and you guys saw this in your in your market the last couple of years, it's really hard to dig out from a hole. It's not that there are that many points out. It's just that there's so many teams out. And you keep getting situations like last night, Anaheim beating Vegas. You know, Arizona's better. Anaheim's better. You know, there's just – there's – 
teams that are going to be pushovers this year and for the Oilers to make up these points, you know, it, it's not going to be easy. So uh, it's, it's a great question. You know, I was on a text chain with some, some hockey people yesterday and I sort of, I just threw out there, I said, how much trouble are the Oilers in? And, and no one was ready to say there's a lot of time left, which I think would have been the answer a few days earlier. I think it's now getting to be like, yeah, there's concerns. And it probably starts in the net. You know, they're just, they, they don't get timely saves at all. I mean, look at the difference between what Thatcher Demko is doing for Vancouver and what, you know, Campbell and Skinner are for for Edmonton. And when there's that lack of confidence, it, it's, it's very tough to play in, in that circumstance for that team. So you can't outscore all your mistakes. So I would say there's, there's a legitimate level of concern and, and this narrative can change a win tonight against Vancouver. And then they play San Jose, you know, like they could turn this narrative around, but I also thought the narrative was going to be turned around a week ago. When I spoke to you guys after the mm-hmm. heritage classic, it looked like they'd, they'd turned the page and that obviously wasn't the case. What do you think about these Canucks? Man, oh man, it's, first of all, they're really fun to watch. And, you know, we all watch a lot of hockey and and let's face facts. Sometimes you're watching a game and the games blend into, you know, two teams look like the other two teams. The games look the same. And it's not always the most compelling, entertaining product. When you watch the Canucks, first and foremost, you're entertained. They play a, a physical and interesting and skilled brand of hockey. The stars are amazing. I think Elliot was put it nicely Saturday night. It's just every game this year, Hughes, Pedersen, Miller, Demko, they're the best players. Mm-hmm. And the supporting cast has been exceptional. It's It's been fun to watch. It's been really fun to watch. I hope, you know, I, I imagine there's a certain level of excitement in, in your city and there should be. And it's, it's really cool. It, it's funny to see. It, it's so funny. Hey, like, through the Travis Green into the Bruce Boudreau into the Rick Tockett, and, and we all remember the Bruce, there it is. But I, I do think, you know, Rick Tockett deserves a lot of credit because it really feels like the team is bought in and that they're playing a style of hockey that's winning hockey. And uh, and to have these stars, sort of these burgeoning superstars hitting their peak, you know, it, it's fun. At the same time, it's, it's really fun. And they're a legit good hockey team, and, and no one wants to deal with them right now. So here's a tough question for you, David. After the Canucks, who's having the second best season in Canada? <laughs> Can I choose none of the above? Because I, <laughs> I'm driving my, driving my son to school this morning, and I said, "Oh, we got a great doubleheader tonight. You know, we have the Leafs and Lightning, and we've got the Canucks and Oilers." And he said, "Cool." And I said, "The Canucks are playing way above what anyone expected, and they're the only team in Canada. Everyone else is playing sort of below." The expectations. Maybe you could say the Jets are sort of right where maybe yeah. we imagine Montreal but, too. Yeah, and I actually said I said, look, Montreal's doing better, but you know they've lost two in a row, and and the expectation. You know, I'll be shocked if at the end of the year Montreal is still fighting for a playoff spot, and that's not disrespect to them, but I I just think they're at a different stage, and they recognize that, and the management group, you know, expect and understand, respect and understand that. But um, I, I don't have an answer. I mean, the Jets. I think are playing to their capabilities and, and are a good team, but I, you know, Toronto, Ottawa, and the two teams in Alberta, it's been, it's been a really tough start. What's wrong with the Leafs? Well, I mean, if I have to sum it up, first of all, they're completely inconsistent. Are you guys NFL fans? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, okay. You watched the bills last oh, night. Oh, they're like the bills, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the individual parts, Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, you're going, oh, man, you're salivating at what this collective group can be. And you put it all together and you're like, oh, it's not quite what I expected. Uh, you, you know, if I were to pick one meaningful stat, well, first of all, they're blue line. And we talked about this in yeah. the preseason. Right. Like they're, they don't have you look at Vegas Golden Knights, you look at Colorado, you look at Stanley Cup bonafide teams and the Leafs blue line isn't that. And they also now have injuries on that blue line. So that's, that's, I'm not going to discount that. But the forwards, it's, it's in a very imperfect setup. They're big four, Nylander, Tavares, Matthews, Marner, 26 goals. Amazing. 26 goals. Every other forward that's played this year, and I believe there's nine of them, six goals. Yeah. Think, think about that. Like, that's actually hard to do, right? Over 10 games, 
and nine forwards have collected six goals total. It's unbelievable. So, you know, Bertuzzi, Domi, Klinberg were brought in for offense, for grit, for all of, and it just hasn't transpired yet. Uh, Bertuzzi, Domi, and Klinberg have two goals total, guys. They have zero even strength goals. Zero. How so, much? There's your problem. How much blowback has there been following the response or lack thereof to the Brad Marchand, Timothy Liljegren incident from last week? A lot. Yeah. That game was on Thursday. It's Monday, and they're still, still talking, talking about, about it. it. Yeah. The fallout. You know, I was doing that show, and, and Nick Kiprios right away said, I can't believe it. You know, the one guy who's drawing at Marchand from the bench is Reeves. Everyone else is just sitting there quiet. Tyler Bertuzzi's got a big smile on his face. It's not the 1970s. It's not the 1990s even. No one's expecting a line brawl. No one's expecting to jump Marchand. But to not show any sort of response, no emotion, no you know, it, it verbal you know, abuse of the guy at all, it just it was shocking. And to see your player, you know, your teammate Timothy Lilligren leave the ice in that fashion, knowing there's a serious injury and knowing it was a questionable play, at the bare minimum, it was reckless and careless. And and a lot of people are, are saying it was much worse from Brad Marchand with his history. You know, they question what level of intent was there. I'm not going to go and say Marchand was trying to injure the guy, but it was, if nothing else, it was fairly reckless, you know, where his stick was two feet from the boards uh, on Lilligren's, you know, back of his leg. So, uh, that's still a conversation piece. And everyone thought, okay, Saturday, they're going to galvanize. They're going to come together. And it just, you know, you can't paint stripes on a cat and say it's a lion, mm-hmm. right? Or a tiger, however you want to put it. Like guys are who they are. You are who your DNA is. And, you know, that's been the question mark with this team. They've cycled in so many different guys to try and fill that complimentary role to these superstars. And it just hasn't happened. And quite frankly, guys, you know, while we're going off on this, you look at the superstars on other teams, like Stamkos, you know, plays with a level of grit. Remember him dropping the gloves uh, in the playoffs with Matthews, you know. You see, you know, Crosby's had his moments, even as a superstar, where he's dropped the gloves and he's defended himself and created his space. I'm not sure the four superstars in Toronto, that's their DNA. It doesn't, it doesn't, I mean, they're superstars, they're mm-hmm. fantastic players, but I'm just not sure they're the guys who are ready to create their own space and, and have that level of pushback. And it's just something that hasn't really maybe sat right in this market for some time. Um, it shouldn't be on Austin Matthews to have to drop the gloves and do those things, but it just feels like, Overall, the team doesn't necessarily. Every guy doesn't seem to have their their backs at this point, and that's that's got to be a major concern. And Sheldon Keith said as much in his press conference the following day how he was quite upset about the lack of response. And I'm sure this is driving Brad Trey living nuts because he he's an old school hockey guy. We saw the team he developed in the Flames and and that type of grittier team. And and right now it doesn't seem like that's the group in Toronto. So I'm hesitant to talk too much about the Leafs. But to be fair, the Canucks are in Toronto on Saturday to play the Leafs. Mm-hmm. Their next four games are all against Canadian teams, and they're all going to be mm-hmm. interesting matchups uh, tonight against the Edmonton Oilers. Then they go to Ottawa on Thursday, the Leafs on Saturday, and the Habs on a Sunday. Um, Nylander, what are they going to do there? Because <laughs> he's probably their best forward right now. So you're kind of like, well, keep him. But... He doesn't help you. First of all, he's going to be really expensive to re-sign, um, mm-hmm. and he doesn't he doesn't help this problem that you're talking about. Well, the multiple problems. He doesn't help this DNA problem that you've got in Toronto, and he doesn't help the the blue line. And the blue line, if you think the blue line's in trouble this season, what about next season when half the guys are out of a contract? Yeah, I um, I I talked a lot about this in the off season with friends. I just thought you know. And, and granted, Nylander is a, is a bona fide, you know, he's a very, very good player. In open ice, there are a few players as good as him in the league, period. Um, but we've also seen where the open ice goes come playoff time. It shrinks immeasurably. And, and you know, to become that bona fide championship team that you're talking about, you know, a, a stud defenseman would go a long, long way. You know, would go a long, long way to helping the Leafs. So, I, I, in the offseason, we talked about, you know, I had conversations with friends, at least, who follow hockey and were, were sort of saying, 
Um, yeah, I wonder if they're going to move Nylander for a stud defenseman. Uh, all I know is this: Brad Trailerman's not going to. We're not going to get to the trade deadline, and and they're not this not be resolved. I just don't think he can run the risk of letting Nylander go to the open market and seeing a Johnny Gaudreau situation <laughs> take place. Yeah, but I he's do, not going to get a stud defenseman for a rental. That's the thing, right? Like, well, no, but what if what if what if he trades into a team that's willing to give him his ten million plus dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, we saw Bo Horvath get traded, uh, and he yeah. wasn't a rental. He was uh, a guy, and it took two weeks, but he got traded, and mm. then they got his, his eight-year deal or whatever, seven-year deal or whatever yeah. it was. Um, so I, I think there could be a marketplace for that. I think people would be, you know, there's GMs that would be salivating with the prospect of adding them. The team that I keep thinking that makes sense is Carolina. Carolina, every year in the playoffs, can't mm. outscore, you know, their opponents. That's their biggest problem. They have a, a, a whole litany of great defensemen that, you know, maybe they could spare a defenseman or two. I, you know, I don't know. Listen, <laughs> Can you spare I, a defenseman? Just, what's that? Can you spare a defenseman, please? We <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what the perfect fit is, and and maybe it'll just be the Leafs, you know, open up the vault and say, yes, we want to keep Nylander. Um, I just don't know how it would work. You've got three $11 million guys and Matthews is about to be a $13 million guy. Mm. And you're then going to add another eight figure guy essentially. Cause you know, Nylander's going to make 10 million, 10 million plus wherever, whatever. It's like the Pedersen conversation really. Yeah. Um, you know, although Pedersen, you know, is probably worth more, let's face it at this point, oh. he could be the MVP of the league right now. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, I don't know how it's going to shake down. All I know is I know Brad Trey living is not going to allow what happened with Johnny Goodrow to happen. I'm, I'm very confident of that. So negotiations, I imagine, are continuing, and maybe they'll come to a point where Trailing's going to have to say, oh, boy, we just can't meet those demands. So we're going to have to, you know, tell, tell the Nylander camp, Here's, here are our options. You know, either we come in at a lower number or we find a way to adjust this, or we're going to have to see what options there are with other teams. Uh, David, real quick before we let you go, are the San Jose Sharks going to be the worst team in NHL history? We debated that on Friday yeah. on Hockey Central. I I didn't see this. I mean, yeah, I mean they're they're in that conversation, guys. You're not just losing, but it's how they're losing. You know, they play Tuesday, they play tomorrow against Philly. I'd like to think, you know, just for the sake of those players there. But it's going to get worse maybe before it gets better in the sense that, you know, there's going to be guys that are on that lineup right now that are going to get moved because they are viable pieces, the Anthony Duclairs or whatever. Mm. So they might be even worse, you know, roster-wise a month from now, two months from now. Uh, Yeah, they're in that conversation. They have the all-time most losses, right? 92-93 San Jose, 71 losses. Mm -hmm. That's hard in today's NHL to lose more than – 71 games, but they'll be in that conversation by all intents and purposes, I think. David, great stuff as always. Thanks a lot for doing this. Enjoy the rest of the week. Enjoy the Canucks Oilers tonight. We'll do this again next week. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one tonight. We have a great doubleheader. Thanks for having us, uh, having me on, and I look forward to the games tonight. Yeah, thanks, David. Appreciate it. That's David Amber, Hockey Night in Canada, Sportsnet NHL host here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. So just to let you know the historical context, Mm -hmm. the San Jose Sharks currently have a points percentage of .045. The Washington Capitals in 74-75, they played 80 games that season. They won eight of them. Mm -hmm. They tied five of them, and they lost 67. So that points percentage is .131. But that Washington Capitals team did not allow 10 goals in consecutive games. The Sharks are a special brand of stink, folks. And look, call us house of negativity. I like to think of it as house of reality. I will acknowledge this, though. We do love a good tire fire. I like watching stuff burn. It's just something that I enjoy. I don't concern San, uh, I don't consider San Jose as much a tire fire as, for example, uh, Calgary. Like giving up two, 10 goals in back-to-back games is pretty yeah, tire but they're, fire. Yeah, they're tanking. Yeah, but tanking. there's tanking, and then there's that. Yeah, well, they're doing a great job of it, right? So I did want to pivot off that, though, to Ottawa. So another one of the Canadian teams that is having a real rough go of it. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the nation's capital or not, but it's not been a great start to the season. They had a player suspended 40-plus games for gambling. They fired their general manager after he botched a trade and apparently lied to a team about a no-trade clause. They're not winning on the ice. 
And one of their star players, Brady Kachuk, kind of went off Saturday after another loss. They they actually looked good in the first three or four games. Remember yeah. they were three and one, and they were beating teams pretty handily. They took care of Tampa Bay. They beat Washington six to one. Ever since then, they've lost five of six. Their only win was over another team that's struggling right now, the Pittsburgh Penguins. And like you said, all that stuff happened. So what 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 happened with Brady Kachuk? Well, the did fan- he have a fight with his brother in the back of a Hyundai? No, they, that would have been clever and kind of amusing. <laughs> this was he kind of broke the code in a way because there's one thing that you don't do: you don't criticize fans. You don't oh, take it out on the fans. Oh boy, the Boo Birds were out Ooh, big time on Saturday, that. right? Boo Birds were out. Another loss for the Ottawa Senators. Hey, everyone is frustrated in Ottawa, Brady Kachuk included, but he decided to give it back to the fans in his post-game remarks. Here's what it sounded like. Laddie, take it away. You fans can stick it, brother. <laughs> You're, I didn't know that was coming. Listen, that are was there, are, are there going to be a lot of wrestling things with us giving away these smacks? Just let me know. Just let me know if there's going to be a lot of wrestling. And well, We want to surprise you. I don't okay. have an in-depth knowledge of wrestling <laughs> stuff, but I'll, I'll try to mix it in when would I... Would it annoy I, okay. you if there was a lot of wrestling stuff? I did threaten I'm to I'm not going to say yes because I know that would guarantee <laughs> there would be a lot of wrestling stuff. I, um, I did threaten to do the DX crotch chop all week on camera, just repeatedly. <laughs> yeah, Because it's very uncouth now. Yeah, you're not allowed to do that anymore. Okay, we can play we the actual audio. Have Brady Let's play uh, non-Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Brady Kachuk, here he is. Frustrating. I mean, it's whenever you don't win, it's it's frustrating. And um, it's frustrating the, the negativity from the outside. It's um, the constant booing and, and the, uh, the kind of from the crowd too tonight was, um, I understand that they're a passionate fan base. I understand. I love it. But, um, I mean, when you face adversity, you don't, you don't turn your back on... Uh, the guys out there i mean we're playing hard um i know it's frustrating right now but it's not like we're, we're giving up out there we're fighting to the very end so um to be honest with you it's um i was i was very frustrated tonight. so here's the problem in ottawa um the senators were a lot like the canucks in that they went into this season and said we can't have another bad start like these bad starts are burying us We've seen the excitement in Vancouver because the Canucks have done the complete opposite, um, and it's happening in Ottawa. So, man, for Brady Kachuk to go up there and almost criticize the fans. Almost. Or criticize the fans, like, he might regret that. But I also do wonder if he's kind of sticking up for his coach because a lot of the negativity is surrounding DJ Smith and the fact that fans are calling for his firing. And But that was what a lot of people... Expect it to happen if the Sens went into the season and they had a bad start. And after 10 games, they haven't had a good start. They're below 500 with a four and six. Yeah, you can't and do it, though. You can't do it. You can't do what he did. No, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. No, don't. That's the dumbest thing ever. Because he, what he said. Never is, criticize the fans. He said, when you face adversity, you don't turn your back on the guys. Brady, they're not turning their back on you. They're in attendance. Turning their back on you is not showing up. Mm-hmm. Turning your back on you is what's going on in Buffalo right now when you're struggling and they don't show up to the rink. That is turning your back on a team. Do you They're think there. Brady will rue the day that he said that comment? Did you say rue the day? Yeah, will he rue the day <laughs> that he is turning his back on the fans? Um, is Shakespeare? <laughs> <laughs> Look. There will be a lot of ruing. Yes, there will be a lot of ruing. Look, you can't. Who's do- going to be the first coach fired? There's quite a few in the conversation right now. Is so it between, many Canadian coaches. Is it between DJ Smith and Jay Woodcroft? Wow. I, I was wondering. I know they, they re-signed Sheldon Keefe. I know they gave him an extension. But, like, it's the Toronto Maple Leafs. They throw around money, you know, willy-nilly. Like, has could they do something there? I thought that David Quinn was going to get fired after that t- the, the second consecutive 10 goals. And he'd been like, thank you. <laughs> please just do it. Please fire <laughs> me. Please. Please. I'm so tired. Uh, he like that is there were questions asked and he even acknowledged Quinn did in the post game when he was asked about his job security. He's like, yeah, that's a fair question. You do something that hasn't been done since 1965 and that's lose consecutive games while surrendering 10 goals. Your job's going to be up for question. But I would say of the Canadian teams, I would put DJ Smith more likely than Jay Woodcroft, if only because the general manager that hired DJ Smith is now gone. Yes. What if the Canucks smoke the Oilers tonight? Not just beat them, smoke them. Could you? I mean, the, being able to run up the season series 3 0 
Yeah. And it's November sixth today. I'll add. like it is early in the season. Yeah, the, they would only they only have one game left against the Oilers after you, this. You've got a chance to take a stranglehold on the season series. You get a chance to put a bigger cushion, and that sounds crazy saying it between you and the Oilers in the standings. You also get a chance to drive a serious nail into. I don't know if it's the final nail into the coffin, but it's a nail, no question. So if you go out and beat Edmonton. So down. here's why it would make sense to do it right now. Okay. Okay. Uh, they play in Vancouver tonight, obviously. Let's say they lose that. Their next game would be Thursday in San Jose. That would be delicious, by the way. So um, you would have a couple days to to make the change. And then also your first game would be like a gimme. You'd be like, yeah, we'll give you the Sharks. And then and you go in and beat the Sharks. And you'd be like, yeah, the new system works. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we scored 10 goals. <laughs> Things are the thing is, like, if you're Ken Holland, do you have you even like gone through the? Have you even had time to like think of who might come in and who might come in? You I would don't have know. to put an assistant in charge. Have yeah. there ever been three NHL coaches fired in the same day? Like, could that happen? No, I don't think so. Could all the GMs well, get together the end of the season? Like, maybe the last game of the season. Yeah, I don't even know yeah. if that's ever happened. Like, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. But what I think is remarkable is that we're even discussing it. Sure, like, I don't. Yeah, I, I think that firing Woodcroft right now. I hate saying this because I would love to see it happen. I think it would be a mistake. I think it would be... I don't know, man. There's a lot of teams that have fired their coach in the last little while and had a lot of success with it. The The Penguins won the Stanley Cup after they fired their coach mid-season. The St. Louis Blues won the Stanley Cup when they fired their coach Yeah, but mid-season. they gave him some rope. He's 10 games in. It's too early. It's too early. Well, remember our conversation with... Uh, it was Travis Green, right? Mm-hmm. Before... Before Bruce Boudreaux came in with the Bruce, there it is, and you're like, listen, you got to do it, or, or you're gonna, or you're gonna be buried. And Boudreaux came in, and they even won a bunch of games, mm-hmm. and they were still too far behind. Like, th- here's the thing with the Oilers' start, and I know we got to get to going a break, so we can carry this over in in, in, the, in the next segment. We got an open segment. Like, this is beyond a flat start now. The first five games, six games, you can be like, yeah, they're just a little flat. They'll, they'll figure it out. Now you're starting to go into the man, what kind of record are they going to need to just make the playoffs? That's that's the conversation you're having right now. Let's continue this on the other side. We've got an open segment, and then at 7.30, we're going to uh, talk a little NFL with Mike Tannier. You and I can discuss the Seahawks if we want, mm. um, but we will go into the Dunbar-Lumber text line and address any of your questions or comments. Dunbar-Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street. Dunbar-Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Butis in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. You're listening to the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650.